In the aftermath of 9-11, President Bush began a journey of putting something into place to protect us. He began a journey of, of protecting our, our homeland. Now, it was a progressive journey, and it took 18 months before Tom Ridge actually took over the Homeland Security Department. But six months, March of 2002, he signed... Let me see if I remember what this is called. The Presidential, the Homeland Security Presidential Directed Number Three. Now I don't know why it was number three. And with the number three, it set up what we know as the advisory, the Homeland Security Threat Advisory. And it looks like this. How many of you have seen that? That's uh, that's our threat level in the country, from low to high: green, blue, yellow, orange, and red. Obviously, the lower it is, the better it is. The higher it is, the worse it is, with the, with the red being if it's imminent attack. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you is that if you look on our webpage, you'll find a little, one little bar here. And right now, we're at elevated threat level in our country. And it changes on our website when it changes uh, uh, national, nationwide. But I want us to take that. Go ahead, Alicia. We're going to take that and move it over to the side And I want you to think tonight about this elevated threat level. Because tonight, I want us to begin this code yellow alert. Code yellow. Now, I'm not a race car driver. I don't see Kathy here. I'm sure there are some other race car fans here. But the yellow flag means caution, means warning. And so I believe that the Bible gives us many warnings. We could, we could go through a lot of them, and yet, for the sake of time, I won't list them all, but you see on the screen that it says seven warnings from Hebrews. Hebrews is a wonderful book. In fact, it may be, it may be one of the most wondrous books in the New Testament. In fact, folks have said, I read this week, that folks have said that it's like seeing the Alpine Mountains for the first time when you really get through Hebrews. There's a lot of meat in Hebrews. Now, it's not the Gospels. It doesn't tell about Jesus. It's not the Acts uh, written by Luke that tells us about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the thriving of the first century church. It's not those Pauline epistles that tell us so much doctrine. It's not from the hand of Peter. It's not from the hand of John. Uh, We really don't know who wrote. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? He smell, it smells like Paul, if you want to know the truth, but we don't know that. But this book contains seven warnings. Now, we'll have some breaks because we have some nights when we don't have Sunday evening service like Easter and what have you. But for the next weeks, we're going to focus on the warnings that were offered in the book of Hebrews. Tonight, the warning is this. It's the warning against and about drifting. Now, for those who are going to come up after the service, say, Brother Jerry, 2007, you preached from this text almost the same points. I'll tell you you're correct. But it fits so perfectly, and this is such an, a needed message that I've, I felt led to resurface it. It's kind of like, uh, did you notice a couple of weeks ago on the community revival when Dr. Roger Wilmore preached that night, that he preached in the community revival the same message that he preached for us back in August when they came over. But this is what he told me. I walked in the building. He said, Brother Jerry, he said, I'm going to preach the same message tonight I preached then, but let me tell you why. In my heart, I believe this is a message that needs to be preached 
all over our country. It needs to be preached until we have it. And if you remember that, that message was about um, broken, about empty vessels and closed doors. Tonight we're talking about drifting, so let's just kind of wade in. What comes to your mind when you hear the word drifting? For, for me, it's a boat. My dad and I used to go occasionally down to the mouth of the Pearl River, southern Mississippi and Louisiana area, to a place called Malatabao. We'd go into the, to Kelly's camp, rent us a boat. And I remember one time his specific dad had bought him an old second-hand motor and he'd fixed it up himself. He was quite the mechanic. And we went down into the bio to fish. And the motor quit. And the paddles were in the car. All things being equal, that's not a good combination. And even if the paddles had been there between the wind and the current, I don't know that we could have made it back in anyway. But we got when it went dead, we just kind of set ourselves to drifting because boats left alone will drift. Cars drift. You don't believe me when you start? Well, don't do this. Because somebody will try this because the preacher said it. You start home tonight, just take your hands off the wheel. That car will drift. And you'll get in trouble quickly. Countries drift. Nations drift. I always am amused by people who say, oh, this is not a nation uh, founded on Christian principles. A lot of the guys were Christians, but it was not founded on Christian principles. And the reason I'm amused is because when our founding fathers in their wisdom built all the landmarks and the buildings, almost everyone ingrained in stone is Scripture. And I think that they must have known that there would be a propensity to move away from Scripture if they didn't ingrain it in stone, you know, The funniest part I've said many times is the Supreme Court says it's illegal to put the Ten Commandments that hang over their head out in public. So something's not right about that. But I don't think anybody in America, I don't think that anybody in America, certainly there was no law passed, there was no uh, legislation passed, there was no continuing resolution passed to say that we're going to move away from God, but somehow we just kind of drifted away. Not only do nations drift, institutions drift. Institutions that were founded squarely on God's word will will drift away from their founded principles. You do realize that all the Ivy League schools, all the Ivy League schools, don't worry about that up there, I'll get there in a second. All the Ivy League schools, can you name them? Cornell, Princeton, Harvard, all these big institutions were once... Christian institutions, and until about the early 1900s, that all the presidents of those those, uh, institutions were pastors, and they were established to train our leaders. Oh, how they've drifted today. Denominations drift. Southern Baptist Convention readily admits that 80% of churches in America are either plateaued or declining. Additionally, If we're honest, we'll admit that we're losing our influence in the world because we live so much like the world that they cannot differentiate anything between our lives and their lives. Not only do denominations drift, marriages drift. Two people get married and they think they're so in love. And then 30 years later, they divorce because they just drifted apart. It's called creeping separateness. 
churches drift. You know, when a church starts in a healthy manner, when a church starts in a healthy manner, they start with a mission and a passion from God to reach people who have not been reached, to touch people who have not been touched, to bring people into the kingdom. And if they're not careful and they don't keep it in front of their, their, their mind's eye what their purpose is, that hot heart, that fire of the Holy Spirit that drives them to people will, will begin to go out. And you've guessed it. If all these other things drift, believers drift. We get saved and get a good dose of Jesus in our heart. Love God and country and everybody. And if we don't tend to it, that fire begins to go out. And we just find ourselves aimlessly drifting. So let's talk about it. You see the first point I'd like to share with you, the description of drift, drifting. How do we describe this drifting? What does it mean to drift? Well, we've already started with a boat, so let's just stay on that. You put a, you put a boat out on a lake. It can, be a, it can be a lake that has no running water. You know what you'll discover? If you just put it out there, you don't anchor it, it has no motor, you just set it on the water, you'll find it just starts turning. Every breath of wind will affect it. Every wave will affect it. All the external forces will affect it because it has no sense of direction and no sense of purpose, because it has no anchor to hang on to. And it'll just drift around. In fact, drifting literally means going with the flow. In human terms, it means following the crowd. It means if it feels good, do it. In fact, I heard it said a long time ago that a man who, cannot, who does not stand for something will fall for anything. I also heard that a man who's not, the only man who can't be bought is a man that is already sold. You see, what happens, what happens is that without an anchor, without a direction, we're just at the mercy of the external forces. That word drift in the King James is translated as slip. Slip. Now, all of us know what it means to slip. Last Sunday, we had snow. Did anybody slip on the snow? Nope. Let me just give you a picture. You're walking down a hallway. It can be uh, hardwood. It can be tile. It can be linoleum or anything else. And somebody has mopped that thing. How many of this, has this ever happened? You're walking down and you know you need to go there. And then when you start plant your foot to turn, your momentum keeps you going forward. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Your feet go out from under. You lose your traction. And literally that word drift means to carelessly miss. Are, are flowing on by. And when we drift, we just, it's not a matter that we set out to do things. And, and you know, I've said this a lot today, we don't set out to do it, and it's because that many times people in the pew think the preacher feels as if we set out to do something bad, and so he spanks us, and we come on our knees, and people think bad things about us. But no, listen, all we have to do to drift is nothing. In fact, I submit to you that walking the, uh, close to God and living the Christian life is like getting on an escalator, going up. 
Have you ever got on an escalator and just stood there? If you get on an escalator going down, which way are you going to go? You better watch what you do. You get caught up. If you get on an escalator going up, you're going to go up. But here's what I'll tell you. If you walk and want to go up, you have to get on that escalator going up. Might be better said that you get on that. It's like getting on a down escalator because when you step, if you're not in motion, it's going to take you right to the bottom. That's what life is all about. That's what life is like. If you're not gaining ground, you're losing ground. The description of, of drifting just tells us that we are controlled by external forces, that escalator, the wind, the waves. And you know what? That's why Ephesians 4 tells us to be mature in the faith so that we won't be blown around by the winds and waves of doctrine. It is why it's so important that we choose our friends carefully because friends will pull us in the wrong direction if we're not careful how we choose them. The, descri- the description of, drip- of drifting. Second thing that I'd just like to pull to your attention is the development of drifting. How in the world... Do we get into this drifting situation? How does our lives, you know, we come to, all of us come to Christ and, and we repent of our sin and we invite him into our hearts and lives and it's so good. How do we get into this thing of drifting? Just, yeah, just letting the external forces blow us, letting popular opinion push us around. How do we get into that? Well, it tells us right here in verse 1, it says, if we don't pay attention, it'll happen. He says that we must pay more attention to what we have heard. Now, you know, one of the thrills to your pastor about being your pastor is that when we get into the morning, particularly the morning service, but I've noticed in the evening service that as we, as we go through God's Word, people are writing it down. That's an encouragement to me. But listen, it's the only place, if, if the only place you're recording this is on a notebook and not on your heart, it is of no value. If it's not impacting how we live, how we think, how we act, it is of no value. And you know what happens? All we become is a drifting Christian with a lot of notes. And he says we have to pay attention to what we've heard. We have to live out what we've heard. We have to do what we've heard. You know how some of the things that cause us to start drifting... Carelessness. Just get careless about it. Get careless about your daily time with God. Oh, Brother Jerry, I don't have to get careless about it. I don't have one. Well, isn't it it interesting how many people in a body like this really do not have a time set aside a day to be alone with God, but they got all the answers for everybody who tries to do ministry across the congregation. Have you ever noticed that? And they'll get offended if you go, okay, tell me what, we'll deal with this problem, but tell me what God is speaking to you about in your, in your private time. You see, that's the way it develops. Just get careless and leave God out. Bitterness, hurt, wrath, malice. I mean, the list could go on. Covetousness, lustfulness, it doesn't matter. Anything in our lives can cause us just to where we get to kind of drifting along. 
He says we need to pay more attention. Third thing I'd like you to consider is the detection of drifting. How in the world do we detect that we're drifting? If I may go back to the fishing boat illustration, you know that Deborah and I lived on the coast for 13 years. During those times, I got to go out, not a lot. I'm not a huge deep-sea fisherman, but I got to go out a couple of times. And you know what I discovered about those captains on those boats? Now, if they're in eyeshot of land, they have landmarks that they can use. But when they get out in the ocean where all you can see is water, they have to have a landmark. Sometimes they use buoy markers. Sometimes they use uh, oil rigs. I even went out with one guy that had a styrofoam ice chest anchored down. And he did that so nobody would know where his snapper were. But you know what the truth is? If we were fishing and he's got a, he's got a, a, a buoy at his 2 o'clock, you know what happens? We catching fish, and all of a sudden we stop catching fish, and now you look out there, and that buoy's down at one o'clock or twelve o'clock, and we've drifted off course, and we cannot catch fish. Do you know that's what happens in our life? That buoy of Jesus may be at two o'clock, and we just take our eyes off of him for a little bit, and we just kind of drift back. Now you say, okay, brother Junior, but how do we detect it? We detect it in His Word. We detect it in his spirit. In fact, I'll give you a test. This is an account to ten test. It's one question. Are you closer to the Lord tonight than you were a year ago? Do you feel him at work in your lives more today than you did two months ago? If not, guess what? You have, he's not the one that's moved. Can I, be, can I be okay with that? He is not the one that's moved. He's the same place he's always been. I don't even know if you remember this song, uh, Brother Johnny. Years ago, Lee Turner wrote the song that says, uh, um, When you say God seems so far away, who moved? When you find he's out of your heart and mind, who moved? God's still there. He's not gone anywhere. One day, you moved away. You know what the Bible word for drifting is? Backsliding. Backsliding. Because when you drift away, your heart becomes Cold. Have you ever detected yourself just kind of moving away from God just a little bit? Just you're just drifting along. Just drifting along. I want you to see next the danger. The danger of drifting. Have I made the case yet that drifting is tough? Drifting is difficult. Do you know the danger of drifting? Back to the boat. You put a boat in water, and it can be a steel pond, and that boat can kind of be turning around and going all different directions. And above the water, it looks okay. Just like above the fray in our lives, it looks okay. But we can't see what's going on beneath. That's what happened to the unsinkable Titanic. That unsinkable ship went down because it couldn't see what was below the surface. That's what happens in our lives, the danger of drifting. He says here, he says... 
If the message spoken through the angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, here's the question, how will we escape if we neglect so, such a great salvation? Now listen, he is not talking about losing your salvation at this point. He is talking about every sin will be punished. Now, I know that kind of, some of you just kind of sit up straight in your chair and go, no, sir, buddy, I'm going to heaven. My sins are taken care of at Calvary's cross. If that is your opinion, if that's, it is only an opinion, it's not scripture because the Bible says every sin will be dealt with. We either will deal with it at the foot of the cross in repentance or we will deal with it at the judgment seat of Christ. But it will be dealt with. People say heaven's going to be the same for everybody. I'm not so sure that's true, Brother Terry. I heard Deborah talking the other night. It might have been Deborah and Christy or Deborah and Jonathan talking about heaven. They were talking about... I heard Deborah say something to this effect. I'm not going to try to quote you, babe. But, you know, the fear is to get to heaven and God says, this is what you did. And just when you're feeling really good about yourself, God looks, says, look over here. This is what you could have done. This is what you could have been. These are the lives you could have impacted. And yet when we drift away, we lose our passion. That's a good word. Brother Kevin, Brother Kevin Ahem used that Thursday a week ago. We lose passion. No passion for reaching people. No passion for discipling people. No passion for touching people. No passion for the Father. No passion for the Son. No passion to have the Holy Spirit and fill us each and every day. But you know what God uses to get our attention in these dangerous modes of drifting? He uses three things. He uses tragedy to wake us. He uses tragedy to wake us. I've told many stories about that, but I don't know that I've told you about Fred. Fred Henderson was a great friend of ours in Milton, Florida, 1975-76. Had a massive heart attack. Should have killed him. Didn't. Laid on his deathbed. He said, Preacher, if God gets me off this deathbed, I'm giving him my life. Brother John's testimony was that Fred was a um, marginal Christian at best, Sunday morning only. Didn't do much ministry, didn't go to Sunday school, no outreach, no anything like that. And Brother John said, Fred, you better be careful what you promise God. He has a way of making you keep the promises. He said, no, preacher, I mean it. Fred died in 1990, 91. Great friend. Uh, Deborah and I can tear up even today thinking about how sweet that man was. But let me tell you something. He kept his promise to God. You see, God put the tragedy of that heart attack in his life. And instead of bringing him on into eternity, he gave him another chance to not drift. God uses tragedies to wake us. He uses death to take us. I covered that this morning. When he did, I believe deeply within my heart, based on other things in this book, particularly... Um, Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. God lets us go so far, and when he feels like it's too far, he can bring us out of 
out of time and take us into eternity. He uses death to take us. He uses tragedies to wake us. And he uses his word and his spirit to break us. I wonder if the reason that there's such a premium on reading the Word of God is that when we read the Word of God, <laughs> Brother Terry was saying this the other day, Brother Jerry, how many times have you heard people say, well, I know what the Bible says, but what I believe is... You know what the truth That may be the reason we don't read the Bible because we know it's God's Word, and if it's God's Word, all we do is get in line with God's Word, and we don't want to get in line with God's Word because we don't want to be broken because if we get broken, we're going to have to fall at His feet. We've got to submit to His will. We've got to do what He wants. We have to change our way of thinking, talking, acting, living if we, have to, if we submit to His will. And here's the truth. We like our drifting status. But there's real danger here because he says every transgression and every disobedience will receive a just punishment. Now, Brother Jerry, if, every, if all that's going to happen, let me tell you, when you're drifting, you're really out from under the umbrella of God's protection because you've moved into the line of his personal will. But you know what? When you come to him in repentance... And repentance means you turn from it, you let it go. Michael Pickens gave a great devotion today in the deacons' meeting. And he talked about that scripture of forgetting what's behind. And he said sometimes we have to let it go. And he's talking about, you know, we remember all the good things in the past. And sometimes we have to turn loose of them. Sometimes we have to remember the bad, we have to turn loose of the bad things in the past so we can move to the future. So we're not locked up. The last thing I'd like to share with you is the deliverance from drifting. The deliverance from drifting. I don't particularly think that it speaks directly to this here in this passage. But it does say at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders. Various miracles, watch this, and distribution of gifts. We're about to get into some of those in the morning series. For you see, God has shaped us to work together. I will submit to you that if you want to get, if you're drifting and you really want to have a hot heart for God, here's where it begins. It begins with recognizing that you're drifting. You know, it's kind of like I am an alcoholic first thing you have to do to get over the alcoholism is say, I am an alcoholic. The first thing you have to do to get over your addiction is say, yes, I'm an addict. The first thing you have to do to get over, to get healing from a disease is say, I've got one. The first thing you have to do to be delivered from the drifting is say, hey, that's me. Didn't mean to get here. It's not really where I want to be. I don't like how I feel inside. I don't like this uh, um, separation from my father. I really want to regain the intimacy and regain the connection. And you have to admit it. Then you have to bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I can't do anything about it. But you can. 
And best I know how, I'll give my life to you and ask you to forgive me of these sins today. I know if I give you my sins, watch this, I know that if I give you my sin, that those sins, those transgressions, and every disobedience that I give to you has already received its just punishment on Calvary's cross. And I know that my life can start over with you. You see, when we come to him, then we come to his word. That word breaks us and cleanses us. Drifting is a, is a very subtle form of satanic bondage. Because once he gets that toehold, they'll try to develop it into a foothold and rise it to the level of a stronghold. And then he'll never want to let you go. Let's pray together.